We learned that we don't know the second verse to that song. Anytime you want to hear a church Christ speak in tongues, you just mess up the screens. That always works. Good morning. We're glad you're here this morning. If you're if you're with us uh, and you don't know what's going on, you've stumbled into the beginning of a series we're calling Mixtape, God's Playlist for Relationships. And basically, we're going to go through a few weeks of, of uh, messages that are going to focus in on what does God have to say about our relationships. Um, by our, our marriage relationships, our uh, dating relationships, our family relationships, our friend relationships, because the Bible does have things to say about about all these things, and we're going to hopefully get into that. Next week, we're going to get into marriage, and so uh, I don't want to give you a heads up so you have a reason to miss, but next week, um, we are going to get into marriage, and we're going to start a, a challenge that, that I want you to participate in, so be ready for that next week. Towards the end of this series, we're going to have a, a, a we're going to host a live stream event. Um, the Right Now Media that we subscribe to is having a marriage conference that will be live in Dallas. It will be streamed live here at the same time, and we're inviting the community Inviting everybody you know, we'll have more uh, things for you to be, be handing out to your friends and neighbors. That's one of those, what I call an open door event. It's a, a real easy to invite your friends and neighbors to, get them to come in. And uh, so everybody wants to build their marriage and make their marriage better. And so that's going to be something that's real easy to invite people to. So, And then towards the end of the, the series, we're going to have a, a luncheon and celebrate all of our marriages that are 50 years plus in this congregation. And we we have a number of those, and that's, uh, that's a pretty big accomplishment and worth celebrating. So, that's where we're going. This morning, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis. Genesis chapter 29 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're going to read through this first section of Scripture. There is a good bit here, so you're going to have to bear with me. But Genesis 29, we're going to start at verse 15. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, Just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you've done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week. Then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. 
Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. This is a fascinating story. When we find this, when we, when we enter into this story, we're entering into the story of a man named Jacob. Jacob is the, the, the patriarch, the father of, of the children of Israel. When he wrestles with God, his name is going to be changed to Israel. And from thenceforth in Scripture, when it talks about the children of Israel, it's the descendants of Jacob. Jacob is a unique individual, though, because Jacob has an emptiness inside of him. Jacob is trying to fill that emptiness that is inside of him with something. Jacob is uh, he, he's seeking approval. First, he seeks approval with his father. He, he's seeking love and acknowledgement. He's desperate to be considered successful. He's desperate to be given that affirmation for someone. Anyone to notice him. In chapter 28, we see Jacob have his first interaction with God. And, and there he enters into a covenant relationship with God. But even after he's entered into this covenant relationship with God, he still struggles with his desires, with his motives, with his nature. We, we see that even after he enters into relationship with God, he doesn't miraculously change overnight. You know, it's a process. We get that. A lot of times you'll hear preachers preach about uh, John Newton, who was the uh, man who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader, and, and when he came to Christ, he uh, wrote this song, Amazing Grace, that we still sing today. The part the preachers don't tell you is that he came to Christ, and then he still sold slaves for another 12 years. Um, it's not a miraculous overnight thing. It's a process. And it's the same with Jacob. It's a process. He doesn't change miraculously overnight. The backstory here is that, that God came to Jacob's grandfather, Abram, Abram, many years ago, and said, through you I'm going to bless the world. From your descendants is going to come a Savior, a Messiah, that will deal with the, the sin and death that have corrupted this world. And so, from Abram's family... One in every generation will be the one who carries that messianic seed, who, who will be the one who is going, who, through whom God is going to work, that God is going to walk with and bless and pass that messianic strain onto the next generation. And in this generation, it's Jacob. But Isaac, Jacob's father, loves his older son Esau more. Esau is the man's man. You know this story. Esau is, is the, the hunter and the, 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 the manly man, and, and Jacob is the, the neglected one. Jacob has grown up in the shadow of Esau, rejected and neglected and, and overlooked a lot of times because he's not the man that Esau is. And, and he's cast aside. He lives in that shadow. And, and that sense of emptiness that creeps into him, he, he has this hope. He has this hope in him that if only I could, if only I could just have my father's love, if only I could just have my father's blessing, I would be fulfilled. And that inner emptiness 
will be filled. You see, he thinks all he needs is love. If I just had my father's love, everything would be great. All I need is love. And God had said that through a prophecy that, that the, the, the older would serve the younger. And so finally, in an act of desperation, Jacob deceives his father into giving him his deathbed blessing. And Esau vows to kill Jacob because of that. So Jacob runs for his life. He runs far away to be with the relatives of his mother. His mother, the only person he feels like who truly loves him. And he comes to stay with a man named Laban. And... Laban comes to him and says, even though you're my kin, even though you're my relative, you shouldn't have to work for me for nothing. So what should your wages be? And in this moment we see, how is Jacob dealing with that inner inner emptiness again? How is he dealing with that sense of rejection now at this point in his life? How is he coping with all the loss that has happened in his life? And he says, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now we see in this instance that Jacob has replaced that desire, that, that, that need for the love and blessing of his father with his infatuation for Rachel. If I could just have Rachel, the most beautiful woman in the entire region, if I could just have Rachel, then I would be somebody. Then I'd be set. Everything would be great. You see, a lot of times when we have that inner emptiness, we give ourselves to this hope of fulfillment, this idea of, of one true love. If I just have my one true love, everything will be out better. We go through life and, and we know that we, we're told that somewhere out there is this one true love. This one true love that is going to swoop into our lives and make everything better. This one true love is going to fix me, is going to fulfill the emptiness in my life, is going to give me everything that I need, is going to complete me. And, and all we need is love. Rachel is Jacob's one true love. If he only had Rachel, if he only had Rachel as his wife, then he would be successful. Then he would be loved. Then he would be fulfilled. All he needs is love. Now you see, Rachel is a, is a knockout. Rachel is stunningly beautiful. When the Bible says somebody is, is very beautiful, the Bible is traditionally understated. And so if it says somebody is very beautiful, that means she is like, wow. Okay? Rachel is stunningly gorgeous. She is, is the, the word translated here in our, in our version, beautiful in form, is the Hebrew word referring to, to her figure, her body. And so the Bible is saying that she, she is sexually attractive. It, the, the next word that says, uh, that says her appearance, that's referring to her face, her beauty. And so she is, she is gorgeous. And we see that Jacob is head over heels infatuated with Rachel. He is in love, he thinks, with Rachel. She is his one true love. Now, we know from archaeology that, that, and from history that about 30 to 40 shekels was the bride price at the time. 30 to 40 shekels is the price that a, a suitor would pay to, to have a wife. That was the, the dowry, if you will. And, and the normal going rate for a typical laborer for a month is about one and a half shekels. One and a half shekels a month. The bride price is about 30 to 40. What is Jacob offering? 
Seven years. Now, he's not negotiating here. Jacob is not trying to get the best deal. He's not looking for a fair price. He is head over heels nuts in love. And he is offering the moon. Because he's out of his mind with love for this woman. We really see it in verse 21. He says, Give me my wife that I may go into her, or that I may make love to her, for my time is completed. For years, rabbis and teachers and preachers have struggled to explain this verse because it it is so out of character. It's so indiscreet. It's so inappropriate. Even for the time, it would have been inappropriate for him to say that. The the crassness, the crudeness of, of that statement, the baseness of these words. It just shows how over the top Jacob is. He is overwhelmed with his need for Rachel. He's watched seven years blow by like they were nothing because he is in love with her. She is the one, the one true love. This is how he's dealing with the emptiness that is inside of him. He's lost everything. He feels like he's a failure. He feels like he's he's lost his family. He's lost his mother, the only person who really truly loved him. He's lost his way. He has nothing left, nothing going on, but oh, if I could just get Rachel. Then I'd be something. Then I'd be set. Then everything would be right in my life. Ernest Becker is a a secular scholar, an atheist, in fact, who says in his Pulitzer Prize winning work, The Denial of Death, that our secular society has replaced religion with with, with secularism. That that we've replaced God. And, And now that God has been marginalized, where in ancient times romantic love was seldom a consideration, even in marriages. But, but modern people, we load an enormous amount of freight onto romantic love. We're looking for the one. We're looking for this belief that somewhere out there, there's this one magical person that will come in and make everything better. They will complete us. They will fulfill us. We don't want to admit to what degree that modern people are making up for our lack of spiritual fulfillment by looking out there to find the one. Becker says it like this, this quote, We still need to feel that our life matters in the grand scheme. We still want to merge ourselves with some higher self-absorbing meaning. But without God, how do we do this? The modern man has chosen to place that inner need for self-glorification solely on the love partner. We want to be rid of our feeling of nothingness and know our existence has meaning. We want redemption and nothing less. You see it in our culture. You see it in our, in our movies, even as far back as the fairy tales, the princesses, the princess movies that our, that our girls watch, that our children watch. Someday my prince will come. The one true love who is going to, 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 to make everything better. Or in our romantic movies where Tom Cruise comes in and says, You complete me because you fulfill me. You're my one true love that is going to make everything better. It's in our songs. It's in our music that, that, that out there is that one true love. That even Christians will talk about God has someone out there picked out just for you. That one true love. Because in our society, in our culture, we've replaced the need for God with a need for romance. We throw away all the miracles and the, and, and the unknown in our quest to hold on to romantic love. That one true love. That's what we seek. 
But there's a disillusionment that always accompanies this pursuit of that one true love. Remember, Jacob is a con artist. Jacob is a deceiver. But when he meets Laban, he's met his match. Because Jacob says, I'll work for you for seven years. And Laban hears this guy is so out of his mind. He is so irrationally infatuated that this is my chance to take advantage of him. Watch what happens. When Jacob says, I'll work for you for seven years, Laban, what does Laban say? He doesn't say yes. He says, well, I guess it's better for her to marry you than somebody else. That's not yes. He makes a, a generic statement, but, but Jacob, Jacob is so into it. Jacob is so focused on this need for Rachel that he wants it to be yes, so that's what he hears. We ever do that? We'll talk about that. He wants the answer to be yes, so he hears yes, and the seven years pass, and then there's the wedding. Now, in, in, that, in that culture, the wedding is a big feast. It's a big party, and it lasts all week. And there's a giant feast, and, and the bride is kept veiled all day, and she's paraded through town. They come and get her from her parents' house, and they parade her through town to the place where the husband is. And then there's a giant feast, and there's lots of, of feasting and eating and drinking well into the night. And then at some point, they go in and, and consummate the marriage in a tent while the whole community is outside waiting. That's crazy, right? But, but that's the way they did it. And then, and then they stayed there for the whole week. That's why this plays out like this. That, that they go through this feast all day long. And so as you can imagine, they go in at night in that moment. There's no electric lights. You know that, right? So it's dark. It's night. And, and he goes in and she's been veiled all day and he can't see her and he's been eating and drinking all evening. And so Jacob doesn't know who he's sleeping with until the morning. And in the morning, it's Leah. Jacob is angry. He's, he's incredulous. He, he runs to Laban and yells, why have you deceived me? What have you done to me? And Laban replies, well, it's our custom for the older daughter to be married first. Why does Jacob back off in that moment? Why does he relent? He has a good case, right? He has a good, uh, uh, there are legal recourses in that society too, where he could have, he could have cut, got Laban for breach of contract. It's still fraud. But Jacob just agrees because in that moment, I think his conscience is pricked. He hears himself in Laban's words. Laban literally says, around here, we don't put the younger before the older. Sound familiar? Jacob's conscience is pierced. He says, why have you deceived me? Which is exactly the same phrase that Isaac uttered to Jacob earlier. Why have you deceived me? Laban says, we, unlike your family, don't put the younger before the older you reached out in the dark and touched someone you thought was someone else just like you did to your father and he knows now what it's like to be deceived he knows what it's like to be exploited to be used to be lied to but it's not just his life that shattered it's leah's can you imagine how crushing it would be for your husband to roll over in the morning and see you in the morning light and be angry? 
that on the morning after your wedding, your husband sees you and is disappointed. Can you imagine how crushing, how heartbreaking that would be in that moment? Now, what do we know about Leah? The Bible says in verse 17, Leah had weak eyes. Leah's eyes were weak. One of the problems for translators is what that means. It's, it's, it's translated her eyes were weak, but that, that word normally means her eyes were, were fragile. Many translators render that weak, but it doesn't really do justice to what that passage is saying. It's not saying she needed glasses. It doesn't say Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel's eyes were really good and she could see a long way. It's talking about something about physical appearance because it says Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form. So it's making a comparison. We don't know if she was cross-eyed. We don't know if, if she had some kind of malady with her eyes, if they were, I don't know. But in some way, it made Leah less attractive, homely, unappealing. And she's grown up in this house in the shadow of this gorgeously stunning younger sister. She's grown up always being overlooked. Laban knows he's got to use deception if he's going to unload Leah on anybody. Because she's never going to get married unless he employs some trickery on his part. And so Leah is the rejected one. The overlooked one. The neglected one. And, and she's cast aside. She has this, this same inner emptiness. She is actually more Jacob's soulmate than Rachel is. Because she understands what it's like to be overlooked. To be neglected. To, to hold on to this idea that if I could just have my one true love. She's trying, like Jacob, to, to fill that gap, to fill that hole with love. All I need is love. She tries to fill that brokenness in her life by having children. Leah became pregnant and gives birth to a son named Reuben. Then she gives birth to a son named Simeon. Then she gives birth to a son named Levi. And every time she has a child, she chooses a Hebrew word for the name that reflects her love and her need and her longing for Jacob. Because Jacob is her one true love. Reuben is a Hebrew word for see, and, and she says, maybe my husband will finally see me. Simeon is a, is a Hebrew word for hear, and she says, maybe my husband will finally hear me. Levi is a word that means connection or attachment, and she says, maybe my husband will finally be attached to me. She is tormented by this predicament. The one that she loves, the one that she longs for, the one, her one true love that she's putting all her hope in is spending all his time in the arms of her younger sister. The one whose shadow Leah has lived in for her whole life. Now there are a couple of lessons here that we need to take away from this. When we place all our hope, all our dreams, all our desires on the one, in the morning, it's always Leah. When we put all of our hope, when we put all of our longing, when, when we make that partner, that love partner, our boyfriend, our girlfriend, our husband, our wife, even our kids, our family, our job, our home, whatever it is, when we want nothing more than that in the world, when that thing is going to complete us, that person is going to complete us, that person is going to fulfill our emptiness in the morning, it's always Leah. The one true love that we really want is not him or her. All you need is love. But the other song that should go after that on this playlist is looking for love in all the wrong places. Remember that? 
regardless of whether it's a good relationship or not. I'm not talking about sin. I'm not talking about bad relationships. I'm talking about when we put our hope, when we put our need for fulfillment in anything besides God in the morning, it's always Leah. So how do we deal with this? What's our hope? What's our solution? Well, we look at Leah. Leah's going through here saying, if my husband, if my husband, if only my husband. She's in this idolatrous grip where she's making an idol out of Jacob, out of her family. And even good things, if we put all our hope on them, are going to disappoint. And Leah is, like Becker says, looking for redemption. Nothing less. Leah has made an idol out of those traditional family values until Judah. That child Judah means praise. This time is different, she says. This time, I'm going to praise God. She takes the deepest passions of her heart and doesn't put them on men. The men in her life have always failed her. They've always rejected her. They've always neglected her. They've always let her down. But she takes that deepest adoration of her heart and she puts it on God. And when she does, she gets her life back. Now the question is, what's that thing, what's that person, what's that thing that we have that we put our deepest passion on? We need to take that deepest passion of our heart and put it on, not on people, not on things, but on God. Because then God blesses her. See, all she needs is love, but a different kind of love. Because Judah is going to be the one, the real one. Judah is going to be the one that carries that messianic strain on to the next generation. Judah is going to be the one that will bless the world, that will be in the lineage of Jesus. God looks down on the beautiful woman and the ugly woman. God looks down on the woman who has everything that the world would give her and the woman who has nothing. He looks at the girl who is unloved, unlovely, rejected, and cast aside. And verse twenty-one of 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, God walks across the dance floor, if you will, past all the supermodels, and He finds the ugly, lonely wallflower standing on the side, and He says, you're the one I want. Isn't that beautiful? That God chooses... The con man, the con artist, the liar, the deceiver. And he puts him with the girl who is unlovely, unwanted, and rejected. And through them, blesses the entire world. Isn't that cool? What a God. This morning, I want you to hear, when you elevate your partner to the place of Savior... When you idolize those, that family or, 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 or those, the, when you put all the deepest adoration of your heart on any partner, no human can bear that weight. No human relationship can bear the weight of Godhood. When your partner is all you focus your hope on, they're always going to let you down because no earthly Savior can carry the weight of your hope. All you need is love. But you need the love of a Savior. That love can only be found in Jesus. See, God's not looking for the beautiful or the perfect or or the strong or the ones who have it all together. God brings the messianic seed to Leah because Jesus will be rejected, neglected, and cast aside. Every other religion has a, a ladder that you ascend to try to get closer to God except for ours. 
And ours, God came down the ladder Himself to bring us back up to Him. Jesus says, I am the way. He is the ladder. That's how the gospel works. So this morning, if you've been rejected, if you've been neglected, if you've been the one who's cast aside, and and regardless of whether it's a, a mother or a father, a husband, a wife, whatever relationship that has made you feel neglected and unloved, this morning you are loved. And this morning, if you're looking for a marriage, if you're looking for a relationship, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing. But it will never fulfill you unless you put your hope in God. This morning, if if you're unhappy and you're struggling in your marriage, if you want your relationship to be better, that's a good thing too. And we want you to, to, to try for that. We want you to work towards that. But no human can bear the weight of your hope. And if you're expecting that person to fulfill you, to make you better, it's not going to happen. If you feel ugly, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever, there is a God who is the steps, who is the ladder. And all you need is His love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This morning, John was reading from 1 John, and, and, and in 1 John he says, this is how we know what love is. How, how do we know what love is? Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. This morning, all you need is love. But not romantic love, not one true love, not romantic comedy, princess movie love. All you need is the love of a Savior. And that's the call. That's the call this morning. Accept that love. Come to that love. Hear Him calling to you right now while together we stand and sing.